0: Welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Recently, the Ontario government announced it wants to turn over portions of the Green Belt to be developed for housing. The Green Belt is about 7,000 square kilometers of protected land stretching from the Golden Horseshoe to the eastern edges of Durham region. For developers, it is welcome news as it opens opportunities for new housing along the northern edges of the GTA. For environmentalists and farmers, it's not so good. Steve Gilchrist, host of Naturally Northumberland here on 89.7 FM, will provide his insights into this proposal. Gilchrist was one of the politicians behind the protection of the Oak Ridge's moraine and continues to be an advocate for protecting these lands. I'm so pleased to have with me today the host of Naturally Northumberland, Steve Gilchrist. Welcome to Consider This.
1: Thank you, Robert. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
0: I want to talk to you today about uh, an announcement by the Ontario government on November 4th about its plans to make changes to the Green Belt. Now it wants to allow development of at least fifty thousand new homes, and it states that it wants to expand the green belt at this same time. Now, I know this is an issue that's very close to your heart, but before we dig in for listeners who may not know what is the green belt? Well, the
1: green belt is a is a contiguous stretch of protected land running basically from uh, almost the Niagara Escarpment, all the way over to the the border of Durham Region and Northumberland County. So none of the Green Belt comes into our county, uh, but it does cover eh, more or less uh, most of the land between oh, approximately uh, 10 kilometers north of the 401 up to the south side of uh, a line parallel to the. The lower corner of uh, southwest corner of Rice Lake, uh, and all the way across. So, in the in the area north of Toronto, it would span from the middle of Markham up to uh, the Bradford area in the Holland Marsh. And uh, so, if if people can picture that, it's it's more or less a rectangle, and it largely overlaps the boundaries of a previously protected landmass called the Oak Ridges Moraine. There, there was a slight difference between the the generation of those two protected areas. In the case of the moraine, it was done on the basis of the actual outlines of where the glaciers ended and left the till, which is the the sand and the the smaller stones, the gravel. Um, and that, and it was the boundaries were formed after the Ministry of Natural Resources staff literally walked from one end to the other of a 160 kilometer long stretch of central Ontario. Um, in the case of the Green Belt, the following, go- the government that succeeded, the one that created the Oak Ridge's Moraine, um, expanded the Oak Ridge's Moraine boundaries basically to the next concession road. So they, instead of using uh, boundaries that Mother Nature had had created, they used man-made boundaries. But to their credit, it added more land to the protected area. So um, I, for one, um, and I suspect I speak for many, um, didn't care how they came about that, that determination. The end result was the same thing. More of the important land in north and northeast of Toronto uh, was protected against development. Why would we want to protect that land? Well, it's, let's start with the ecological value. Um, it's estimated that the the ability to protect from flood damage, to protect clean drinking water... Um, there are a variety of things that green spaces do for us that if they weren't there, we would have to pay to do. And the estimate in Ontario is it's a $9.7 billion value each year. Across North America, it's estimated to be worth over $3.5 trillion uh, is the the value of um, protected space, the, of the green spaces, the 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 ability to not have to rely on our own investments, and instead uh, utilize things that already existed in nature. And so given the growth in the GTA, uh, two governments in a row decided that it was important to put up some brakes on urban sprawl and to reflect on the fact that on, in the Moraine lands in particular, uh, there is an ex- extremely good argument to be made about the, the water filtration uh, aspect of that landform over a quarter million Ontarians, including every single person, more or less, uh, listening to your radio show, um, uh, gets water that's been filtered through the Oak Ridge's marine. And I think most people value clean water. Uh, certainly the alternative is nothing to aspire to uh, as a society. And so it was a way of guaranteeing the long-term protection of that resource. Plus, it has to be Uh, conceded that we're not the only life forms occupying this part of the world and it is a responsible action for government to make sure that the flora and the fauna uh, have have land set aside for their own use in some cases um, wild turkeys uh, deer um, that may be subject to harvesting and hunting uh, so it isn't a totally benign and generous gesture on the part of of governments, uh, but in most cases the the, the birds and the other uh, uh, fauna um, are there to to continue to to propagate and to to add a quality of life that I I know having just knocked on almost all the doors in Alnwick-Haldeman Township. Uh, green space is something that's that's prized very highly by the people that live out here in Northumberland County. So so it's consistent with our value system. Uh, There are ecological benefits and there are economic benefits to protecting land.
0: And am I not right in saying that this is the world's largest permanently protected green space?
1: I've never heard that, Robert. Um, It's certainly very large. As I say, it's it's um whether you talk the Greenbelt or the Oak Ridges Moraine, um, the the boundaries occupy probably a third of what you would consider the um, the Greater GTA area. Uh, I understand
0: um, it's like 7,200 square kilometers. Uh, that sounds of about light. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's
1: huge. And uh, and 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 quite frankly, I don't think governments get enough credit when they do the right thing and protect land just just to the east of us. Um, I guess about this time last year, a huge section of Prince Edward County, basically almost the entire southwest corner of that county, was turned into a provincial preserve. And no disrespect to any individual radio show, uh, my my own included, uh, um, the public just doesn't hear about these things. And yet, I, I believe it adds value to our life uh, lives to know that we have these protected areas and that when we're gone, our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids will have an exposure to the same sort of balance between urban and rural that we enjoy. And yes, the federal government's committed to, to further uh, population growth, but that doesn't mean it has to come in places where the ecological value is greater than the the uh, urban sprawl value would be.
0: So, how did you react then when you heard that this plan to potentially allow, I think it's around fifty thousand new homes, and that would be about like three times the size of Coburg on greenbelt lands? What? How did you respond?
1: Well, I must admit, I was surprised.
0: Um, the
1: The premier himself, as far back as twenty eighteen, has said that he he Thought the, the boundaries of the green belt shouldn't be affected. Um, his Minister of Municipal Affairs now is suggesting that the housing crisis is responsible for this change in direction. I, I struggle with that for a couple of reasons. First off, the province passed a law called the Places to Grow Act, and it lays out what every municipality is expected to do in terms of growth as their fair share of what is expected to be the provincial growth by the year 2051. Pickering, for example, is expected to to, uh, uh, assimilate 13,000 people in that time period. Today, not pie-in-the-sky projections about 10 or 20 years, today there are 75 high-rise buildings already zoned or in various stages of applications for development assuming somewhere close to 300 units per building, because um, many of these buildings are 40 and 50 stories high. That's 22,500 housing units, plus the, the land surrounding Brock Road have already been zoned and approved for 35,000 homes. My people, homes. So between the two of them, Pickering alone on the existing lands that come nowhere close to the Greenbelt has 57,000 new homes that we know will be there in the next two, three, five years. That's 114,000 people if if there were only two residents per housing unit. So that's 100,000 more people than the province has already asked for. The relevance of that number, that's basically all the rest of the demand on Durham region. So we don't need two houses for the same person or same family. If you already know that municipalities have over um, approved already, it may very well be that the houses don't exist today and we have this short term housing crunch. But I'm struggling to see how that provides a rationale for getting rid of any green space uh, when you've already within the areas that are uh, eligible for uh, construction have vastly more uh, potential than the 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 Act the Places to Grow Act demands, so I don't see the necessity of it. I guess it would be the short the shortest way I could answer your question.
0: When you look at the maps that go with the proposal, the areas seem very small, and there's not a lot of them. And the areas are directly adjacent to developed lands. And is, is this a case of making a mountain out of a molehill that they're, they're so small? Somebody could say, well, you know, it, it, we're just shaving a little bit off the edges. We're not going whole hog through the whole thing.
1: Well, there, there's value in having continuous um, protected areas, because while you and I can easily figure out how to reconnoiter um, new streets if they're built, and sidewalks and other, other access, the deer and other wildlife aren't quite that up to speed on, on, uh, when it comes to interruptions in their traditional habitat. Many, many species migrate throughout the year. And where they are in one month is not where they expect to be historically in at a different season. And so when you interrupt those corridors, you have done significant damage to the wildlife. More to the point, and I remember that uh, the Liberal government was castigated. They created the Green Belt originally. Uh, the conservatives had created the Oak Ridges Moraine before them. Uh, but then the Liberals proceeded to take 17 parcels of land out of the Greenbelt during the course of of their tenure up till 2018. And and so there's something to be said for consistency. Having said that, I would offer perhaps a somewhat controversial um, balance, a counterbalance to, to the current discussion. Again, for anybody that's familiar with the current state of affairs in Northumberland County in terms of land use, it would be tough to argue that the lands that are even further removed from Toronto aren't even less appropriate candidates for development. It makes no sense. I mean, if you were going to build a new housing development and it was your choice where you went, you would build it closer to where the jobs and and, and other attractions might be. You wouldn't build it 100 kilometers removed from that. That's just that's just common sense. So if Previous governments have seen fit to protect up to the boundary of Durham and Northumberland County. And if, in the case of the Oak Ridge's Moraine, a huge portion of the areas of Hamilton Township, Alnwick Alderman, and a little bit into Trent Hills and Cramming, have been protected, why not be talking about adding all of the land north of the 401 in Northumberland County to the Greenbelt? If you you want to lose a little bit close to the big city, that's fine. But But I think a fair deal is not acre for acre. If you want to generate a protection that's 10 times, 20 times, 50 times greater than what you're taking off, then I think most people would concede that while it's not a perfect scenario, land once protected should stay protected. But I think... Uh, their their distress might be softened t- tremendously, uh, if not completely, uh, by the news that there was a vastly greater protected area. And 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 I wouldn't stop with Northumberland County, I would say, to prevent the leapfrogging that occurred. When when the Oak Ridge Moraine was brought in, I can tell you nobody anticipated that what would happen is people, uh, builders, would immediately jump up to Barrie and Simcoe County and turn that into the fastest growing city in the country and, and then make people fight the traffic down Highway 400 to get to the jobs in the, in the GTA. And so in retrospect, it would have made sense to, to go far further to the north to prevent that sort of leapfrog. Uh, there are people who oppose land protection. I understand that. But I can tell you that since the Oak Ridges Moraine land, lands were protected in 1999 uh, the value of farmland has increased by 1000 percent in that area so anyone who suggests that this was some kind of a uh, limiting factor on on being able to to uh, consider your house or your farm or your cottage an investment that would appreciate uh, as it has historically has been proven wrong And and there's absolutely no reason to believe that if if the boundaries of the Moraine or the Greenbelt were expanded, that that math would change for any of the newly protected In fact, there's a very strong argument that once land is protected, there, there is a portion of home buyers, uh, farm buyers, that sort of thing, who like the idea of living, of, of investing in a property that they know will look the same, again, in the time of their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren that the the beauty of the landform that attracted them today will be just as obvious to their successors, generations to come. And so I I think there's a pretty compelling argument that we need to look beyond any small little land swap. while while I think there's still further explanation needed for the rationale behind that. Um, The good news is as with all bills, And the government themselves have have, uh, portrayed it this way. This is out for discussion. And I think the government is getting lots of feedback. And so far, I haven't seen much in the way of support for the premise. So it will be interesting to see if people uh, take the time to send an email, pick up the phone, call your local MPP, and express your thoughts about whether or not this is something that you agree with as a long-term Uh, change in land use in our in our province and whether you think um, that protecting more of our county Prince Edward County Hastings County Peterborough Kawartha Lakes uh, the periphery to the GTA should should we should be saying in essence that all right previous governments previous generations weren't thinking as long term as in hindsight we wish they had but that doesn't give us an excuse to ignore our opportunities to protect Lands that are as yes, yet untouched.
0: It would seem Sorry. to me that that would be reasonable because, I mean, the government in its proposal—it's the one that is under consult- consultation and the one that we're talking about today—they're they're looking at adding lands near Wellington. So, I mean, it's not beyond them that you know the idea of swapping lands and protecting lands is is off the table. They seem open to it. But I'd like to follow up on what you were talking about about Northumberland because I I, th- I think. You know, you recently ran for mayor in Alnwick Haldeman and you were talking to a lot of people. And one of the major issues in Alnwick Haldeman is a proposed 800-home development in Lakeport. And I was wondering if this is a local case study we could u- we could talk about in terms of land use. Now, currently, that land is agricultural land, but the developer wants to turn it into a community. So could we use that as an example to il- illustrate for the, our listeners the issues that need to be considered when making changes to land use, whether it's the Greenbelt to development, or in this case in Northumberland, uh, agricultural land to development.
1: Well, I think you've hit the nail right on the head and it's quite frankly, the Lakeport Beach development was the reason I thought I'd throw my hat in the ring. I'm I'm gratified that the anti-development votes were way, way ahead of the, eh, I'm not quite convinced that this is a bad idea. Candidates' votes, but the anti was split over two. and and that's just the way politics works sometimes. But the sobering reality then is that the township is still faces this looming threat. the The land right now actually it was rezoned from agricultural to rural in 2006. Imagine. Just about the prettiest section of waterfront. Uh, it's a farm right now, has been always, at least the last 150 years. And it's on a road that's an unimproved two lane, no shoulder, no sidewalks. Adding 800 homes would mean adding approximately 2,000 car trips per day on a road that's not much wider than most people's driveways. Uh, clearly, the road would have to be expanded. How do you get from the waterfront up to anywhere? Well, then Thomas Road or uh, the, um, the Town Line Road would have to be doubled to four lanes, or, or at least a dramatically improved two lanes. Um, so that's another cost. A project of that size by law now requires its own water treatment and waste treatment plant. And it's true, the developer would have to build those facilities, but it's equally true that before the first house can be occupied, the township must take over the actual operation. So it will pay for the staff, the chemicals, the maintenance, repairs, etc. And it doesn't stop there because when you look at, at a uh, project that size, it's increasing the total number of houses, the total population, non-recalculation by 25% in one fell swoop. Far removed from any services. There are no schools, there are no shops, there are no gas stations, there's no no parks, there's no other recreational opportunities. To get from there to anywhere, and the nearest anywhere would be Grafton within Aldenwick-Haldeman or leave the township to go to Colburn. Even then, you're looking at very limited services. We don't have, for example, there isn't one doctor in alnwick haldeman So the idea that we would be creating a new community totally bereft of any of these services is just bizarre and it goes contrary to any good planning concepts. The problem is if a developer's got deep enough pockets and enough patience and and it doesn't hurt to have sympathetic votes on a council but it's not that's not essential they they will apply and be turned down apply and maybe be turned down a second time at which time at which time they will simply proceed to the Ontario Land Tribunal, the, the current name for what used to be called the Ontario Municipal Board. And year-to-date, according to authority no less than the Toronto Star, who analyzed the land the, the Land tribunal's activities year-to-date, about uh, they came up with a, a story about four weeks ago, 97% of the decisions rendered by the land tribunal have been in favour of the development Well, I'm not much of a gambler, but I know I wouldn't take any bet that's 97 to 3 as my odds. So now you're faced with the stark reality that all of these people would be moving into a community with absolutely no services. 100% of the costs of bringing those services there, including widening those roads, taking over the water and waste plant, get shifted to the existing taxpayers. A dramatic, we're not talking about a few dollars, we're talking about high hundreds to thousands plus dollars per year, per house. That's the real impact. So even people who don't live in the immediate Lakeport area uh, aren't immune to the damage that is caused by an ill-considered, uh, Ill- poorly located development. At, in Grafton, we have at least have town water. There are parts in the township that, that have natural gas service. But, but neither of those things or any other uh, uh, of the services we take for granted in urban centers uh, exists out there. So this is, this is just bad news. And that's not even starting to talk about the environmental or eco- ecological issues. So being right on the waterfront, you have some pretty serious issues about water taking and disposal of waste waters the the homeowners along Lakeport right now already have wells that are either completely dry or are perilously low adding more water taking uh, would be devastating uh, we talk about the um, the the loss of farmland another 196 acres of productive farmland disappears at a time when the country is proposing to let in another half million immigrants every year would it not seem logical to suggest we need more food not less food. And so for for governments at all levels to fail to recognize that if you're going to build urban centers, you have to do something to generate a correspondingly greater increase in food production. Some of that can be accomplished with new technology. Here in Northumberland County, almost half of our dairy farmers have gone to fully automated uh, milking machines. The cows milk themselves whenever they feel the urge and that's increased milk production by close to 50% in those farms. And uh, and so yes, some of that will offset population growth but we're losing 319 acres of farmland in Ontario every single day. That's 110,000 acres a year. Let me put that in perspective. If all of that loss were just here in Northumberland County in one and a half years, there'd be no farms left. So we're not talking an insignificant amount of of land being lost. We're talking about a genuine threat to our long-term food security. And California, as an example, and I'm I'm gonna say it was three years ago, might be a slightly longer than that, did a study about their own long-term future uh, food generation prospects. And they concluded that by the year 2030, they would not be able to generate enough food to feed their own population, never mind export lettuce to places like Ontario and, uh, and avocados and other other foodstuffs. So anybody thinking we're going to have a salad in January 2031 uh, is probably going to be in for a rude surprise. Um, food prices have already gone up a lot. If you want to see a real increase, then eliminate the local options, eliminate the, the homegrown food and rely on other sources for all of our foodstuffs. And then you'll really feel the pitch.
0: I'm also interested too, uh, just to tie a couple of things that you've said together is, you know, you were talking about uh, development up in the Barry area, north of Simcoe, and how that created uh, a, a whole bottleneck around the, f- the 400 and, and people commuting to jobs. I mean, we haven't even talked about that as well. I mean, having a community that large, where are those people going to work? And, you know, uh, are they all going to be working at home? I, I doubt it. I mean, they're going to want to get on the highway. And then, of course, you know, uh, I don't know when anybody's driven the, the commuter traffic in, in and out of Toronto recently. But uh, even down our way, it's it's no longer a picnic. So, I, I mean, there's a lot to it. But I I wonder, too, and we didn't talk a lot about this, but last week I talked to some planners who were talking about uh other changes that the government's making to, say, the Planning Act and other legislation. And they're talking about lowering or removing development charges, leaving the burden on existing taxpayers. How do you feel about that in relationship to what we've been talking about?
1: Well, the premise behind their proposed change is to incent more affordable housing. Uh, That's a worthy goal. Obviously, there's an awful lot of younger folks and new Canadians who have been priced right out of the market. If in fact, there was a way of translating those lower development charges into a mandated lower profit margin by the builders so that you knew if you're giving up 20, 30, $40,000 per lot as a development charge, that the price would absolutely drop 20, 30, $40,000 at retail. Then I think the government would have some strength behind its argument. Uh, the markets, being what they are, if you lower the input cost for a developer by twenty thousand dollars, he's not or she is not going to change the retail price of his homes. Doesn't have to. The market determines what a house or a condo sells for. You just guaranteed them twenty thousand dollars more profit. So I I fundamentally disagree with anything that isn't tied to uh, showing that benefit flow right through the process and wind up in the pockets of the end user. Having said all that, um, when I was outdoor door knocking, in fact, I took a totally contrary position. I believe that part of our problem is that we have development charges that are too low. Lakeport is a classic example. If that were to proceed, the developer pays the grand total of $10,957. The ten thousand nine hundred and fifty-seven dollars wouldn't cover the cost of the road access to that project. Never mind the whole long shopping list of other things the township and and the county would be responsible for delivering. So we need to change the system so that developers do not create uh, impact on um, other taxpayers. They're the ones. I, I'm a capitalist, I believe in the free market, but if you're the one making the profit selling the homes, you're the one who should be picking up all the costs related to the development of those homes, not the other taxpayers. Owen Haldeman has the highest percentage of seniors of any municipality in the county, 19.6%, just almost one in five. Many of those folks, and I encountered many during the campaign, they can't handle another $1,000 a year in, on their property taxes. They, or 500. They, they, the reality is, many of them are on fixed incomes, and it's a struggle to keep home ownership even as it is. A huge portion of what municipalities charge in their taxes are actually, nicely put, subsidies for uh, development. Uh, in Pickering, for example, last year, I remember looking through its budget fascinated at all these new homes and condos being built, 50% of the property taxes collected by Pickering go to capital, new capital. Um, There'll be a little bit of that that goes to repair the roof of a community center or or fix the windows on on a library. But the overwhelming majority are for the new roads, the new sewers, the new sidewalks, the new fire halls, the new police stations, the new things that are built because of the new homes. That Quantum, just for the homes being built on on Brock Road, works out to a $675 million subsidy by the existing Pickering taxpayers to the benefit of the handful of developers that are building those 35,000 homes. So, So there really is a tale of two cities here. You've got municipalities where the roads already exist, where the schools exist, In a case like Pickering, you could have a development charge that says, you want to slap up a 50-story condo? That's great. Here's what we see as the impact on our social services, our our hard services, and that's what you're going to pay. Divide that by the number of units, and that's your development charge. On the other hand, we have rural communities, such as Alma haldeman where it is totally illogical to even get into a debate about the quantum because the very idea of building those large developments, as you've just suggested, is illogical. We don't have the jobs, we don't have the medical services, we don't have the social services, we don't have the university or college or some other reason why people would would move there. It, it, and if we're saying, okay, well, that's fine, We'll, we'll find a subset of the market, such as a retirement community. Well, that's great, except by definition, they need higher than average medical access. Uh, they're going to need other social supports, and they're certainly going to want to have something to do with their time. And when there's no proposal to build any kind of recreation or community center uh, attendant to these 800 homes, then th- you're doing a disservice to even that share of the market. And it isn't fair to say, well, they can just cross the border and go to a library in in, uh, Colburn. First off, it's a different township. So all the increased costs that would be generated by increased usage there uh, aren't offset by property tax. And and even then, it's not exactly right next door. So you're promoting greater car use at a time when governments claim to be caring about carbon emissions um, and and. Uh, The simple loss of green space is another complication in the whole carbon argument. So there are no good arguments to support uh, these building a a leapfrogging and and building uh, 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 separate new communities in the middle of nowhere. Uh, You can justify a little bit of infilling where there already are services in Grafton, in Roseneath, in the case of our township. Uh, but aside from that you really need to be looking at the Coburgs, the peterboroughs the the lindseys places that have a hospital they've got a transit system they've got factories they've got schools they have the social supports that's a logical long-term urban planning uh, process but slapping them here onto farmland that's a non It should be a non-starter
0: now the uh there was also a proposed changes to the conservation authority legislation that that was part of this uh, other act and taking away the powers to protect wetlands and floodplains and, and and so on. As somebody who looks at environmental issues so closely, is that something we should be worried about, the, these changes in the powers to conservation authorities?
1: This is where it gets very um, uh, uh. There are mixed messages being sent because the province has said that they will add stronger protections for uh, the the uh, rivers and streams running into Lake Ontario as part of any land trade. So they'd be adding seventy four hundred acres, including the the watersheds of all of the the various rivers, the Don, the Humber, the Rouge, that sort of thing. Um, so if they're if they're protected by a different law the Greenbelt Act, then I would say you don't need them to be protected by a second law, the Conservation Authorities Act. Um, So I guess the devil would be in the detail there. Over and above the watershed areas, though, there are other uh, areas uh, just because of the different uh, uh, undulations in landforms that are prone to flooding, that aren't necessarily within a a river or stream's watershed. it is the truth that conservation authorities have often been uh, a complicating factor when folks have built a house or even rebuilt a house after a fire or uh, some other damage, and uh, and it may very well be that a little bit of a, a little bit of authority was carried to extreme, but but the baby shouldn't be thrown out with the bathwater. Um, they, the government has already changed that act once before to to rein in the the uh, worst examples of of conservation authorities really going going too far in terms of the the uh, intrusion into the planning process. But what's left right now? Uh, basically, just the the uh, input on f- floodplains and and other. Um, uh, water-related uh, issues. I would I would be disappointed if if that was extinguished completely. The government has not said they would. They've said they're going to restrict them further. And I think this is where, again, public input is extremely valuable. If the government makes lays out that under the Greenbelt Act, all of the area we would consider prone to potential flooding from the Don River, the Humber, the Etobicoke Creek, all of those... Uh, um, those rivers and streams if that's guaranteed protected under the greenbelt then then i for one would not have a lot of concern that, that there isn't a second statute or a third statute or a fourth fourth statute once it's protected it's protected but as somebody who whose life was directly impacted by hurricane hazel and the flooding of the etobicoke creek and the humber river uh, many many years ago um i i i've there's there's proof positive that there is value in protecting uh, the uh, the um, uh, the, trip, the all of these rivers and their watersheds, and and I hope that at the end of this consultation progr- process, the government has made it very clear that they're they're not losing sight of the importance of that that uh, that that goal of protecting against floods in those those areas.
0: So. If I'm listening and and I share your some of your concerns and I want to make my voice heard, what, what can I do? What would you suggest listeners can do um, if they share some of these concerns or they want to voice their, their opinions?
1: Well, we, we have a unique opportunity with our local MPP being the Minister of the Environment. Um, he's not the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing uh, or Natural Resources. There are a number of ministries that touch on this, but the environment certainly has a perspective. And to his credit, he has worked very hard to secure other land protections, such as this one I mentioned in Prince Edward County, right next door to us. Um, and and so, regardless of whether you're listening to the show within Northumberland County or across the border in Durham or up in Peterborough, it, it, the, a good starting point is to contact your MPP. And you can write directly to the Premier as well, but. The system works best when the local members know what's on the mind of their constituents. I can say that firsthand. I was shocked that uh, many times things that the media considered uh, very, very significant issues would generate almost no feedback at all from, from my constituents. And other times on relatively minor matters, you'd be deluged with mail and and, and it makes a difference. I truly believe that the system does respond to that sort of input. But if people do nothing and say nothing, then it's hardly fair to then reflect negatively if the government says, well, nobody's criticized us. So I guess this is a good idea. All bills are in essence, a consultation. Yeah. First reading, which is a a formality, second reading, and and then it goes out to committee. And at that point, The government is looking. I I think back to the days when when we amalgamated the city of Toronto, we had a lot of input and we wound up making, I think it was 415 amendments to our own bill. So I reject the premise that governments don't, don't listen. They don't, you don't always get what you want. (laughs) That was true. Even being an MPP, I can tell you, but, but when you do speak up, you are far more likely to get what you want than if you don't do anything. And so, if you're a member of an environmental group, make sure that the the leadership of that group takes the time to to uh, outline their concerns. Uh, because as important as it is for us to speak as individuals, when our voices are aggregated, whether it's an environmental group or some other uh, some other community association, ratepayers group, that sort of thing, um, it it obviously carries that much more weight. And so, I would strongly encourage people individually and collectively to to look at the, the details, and but don't stop at, at what the government basically has said, here's our first offer. Here, here's our first uh, take on on the balance that needs to be accomplished. Not everyone would agree with me. Maybe there's only some parts of our county that should receive further protection, but we have a staggeringly high percentage of our land in Northampton County that are wetlands and managed forests. Uh, and, and 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 farms., um, but even if you didn't want to protect the the commercially focused farms, there's a, there's not much of an argument against why we shouldn't be protecting the forests and the wetlands as a legacy for future generations. so so if if you don't like any the concept of any growth, well, that also touches on a federal government that that's uh, increasing the number of people who will be looking for, accommodations. And at some point, the, the your pressure cooker is going to is going to blow its lid off if you don't have some outlet. So ha- how many we build, where we build, these are all things that government has to balance against the demands of uh, that will be placed on by an immigration system. Uh, but also, I would hope, against the importance of protecting food production. So when you consider all of those things, I think there's a path forward that finds that balance, and it's a very important for people to offer their own thoughts and their support or criticism to any or all aspects of that that evolution.
0: You've given us a lot to think about, and uh, everyone should be aware that the government is consulting on this proposal, and uh, people have up until December 4th to uh, submit directly to the government or, as you suggested, talk to the MPP or... Lots, yes, of, you can do it. lots of lots of yeah,
1: I, I, I believe it's also listed on the environmental registry. So there is yep. a very, very easy process to just, just type in uh, as a Google search environmental registry of Ontario, and it will take you to a, a process. And, and by the way, just as a plug for the, the registry, anytime anybody's doing anything that impacts any aspect of the environment in Ontario, it gets posted. Uh, so commercial developments, um, government ideas and, and plans. It's a if if one is concerned about the long term future of our environment, that's that's a site you might want to bookmark and check back. And you can actually uh, create a um, uh, an, e- an email blast system that will be triggered by the use of the word Northumberland or farming or or whatever interests you have that touch on the environment. You can tailor the messaging you get so that the minute somebody posts something on the registry, you'd be informed about it.
0: You are a bounty of information and knowledge. <laughs> Steve Gilchrist, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Well, thanks, Robert, for the opportunity. I always appreciate chatting.
0: That was Steve Gilchrist, host of Naturally Northumberland. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in.